And good morning, passengers. Welcome aboard South by Airlines. A bit chilly out there with overcast skies this Monday morning, March 13th, 2023. We have reached a cruising altitude, so I'm going to go ahead and turn off the fasten seatbelt sign. your custom-ordered protein shake. And to thank you for being such a loyal customer, we've upgraded your hotel internet to a five gigabit connection. Love it, awesome. Can't imagine flying with anybody else. <laughs> Just have to send this email real quick and done. That was fast, right? Here's my secret. ChatGPT wrote it for me. <laughs> Super fast Wi-Fi on this flight and in the hotel when I land too. I convinced my manager to meet up in the metaverse before our big meeting tomorrow. He's usually not into that sort of thing. He's from like an older generation. You know, a millennial. <laughs> I've got one day for work tomorrow and three more days for me. Maybe I'll stay longer. It's not like I'm heading back to the office anytime soon. They're trying to make us once. It was mutiny. For my trip, I've got this super dope AI app that plans everything for me. I'm talking beach parties, adventures, and art museums. I'm a bit of an intellectual, you know? Like a real modern renaissance man. I'm planning to meet up with some buddies later this week at this crazy co-working spot on the beach. Can you guys say, PowerPoints and pina coladas? Woo! Zeta Sigma Chi for life! <laughs> then there's this also really cool AR scavenger hunt that takes us through the entire city. We're going to be live streaming it on Twitch. Hopefully I'll gain some new subscribers and get to show off my skills a little bit. And... <laughs> Maybe I'll make a couple TikToks while I'm at it, too. Woo! <laughs> Passengers, we have touched down at your destination. Thank you again for choosing South by Airlines. We hope you enjoy the rest of your trip. Taking a moment to center myself. Travel doesn't have to be stressful. I used to get anxious while flying, but today I maxed out at 68 BPMs. Oh, I meant to switch my Reiki appointment to a volcanic mud bath. Oh, I can just do that right in the app. Oh, and I'll have dinner tomorrow in the garden. It's communal dining, so you really feel like you're a part of a community. And I can actually breathe while I'm here. The air is so clean. Even the walls are antimicrobial. This place is like medicine, truly. I've struggled with anxiety and depression ever since I was a teenager. But one psilocybin healing session here and the clouds parted. Oh, that reminds me. Let me just ping the spa bot. So lovely to see you back again 
Is there anything I can do for you? Hi, Spabot. Could you book me for the shroom room? Oh, it should be a sublime time. <laughs> Bye, Spabot. <laughs> oh, I also booked a cooking class with a natural chef in town, hoping to learn some techniques to take back home with me. Though by then, I'll probably just want Whataburger. <laughs> oh, and there's a club here. That's right. I like fun. I like to turn up. <laughs> it has amazing DJs. And if you're sober like me, incredible mocktails made with cold-pressed juice. <laughs> oh, gosh. I need to turn in. Group yoga in the morning led by a live hologram of a Tibetan monk. I'll see you all there. All right, okay. Hey there. You all here for the bird watching tour too? Yeah. Keep, it, keep your eyes peeled. There's a rare bird of paradise around here. Now, careful. We want to make sure nature is undisturbed. That's how I like to do things, you know? I flew over on South by Airlines, where they're committed to net zero emissions by 2045. And it's not all talk. They're actually investing in amazing technology like carbon capture and eco-friendly fuels. And where we are now, did you know that this resort is carbon negative? Yeah, yeah, all reclaimed materials and powered 100% by renewable energy. And the best part is they work with local conservation groups to protect all this incredible nature around us. Oh, is that the bird of paradise? Uh, that was more of a key, key. You want to listen for more of a... Got it, got it. The guides here are fantastic, but you should check out the AR bird watching app. Crikey, some real strange looking birds out here. <laughs> See, we should be able to travel like this all over the world. Leave behind footprints, not carbon footprints. We have to be good stewards for the next generation. So, for the good of this world and the good of every single one of you strange looking birds out here, we should all strive to try to travel sustainably. <laughs> oh, I think that's my bird. Yo, can somebody tell that bird to chill out? I'm trying to build a deck here. The bird calls. I feel one with nature. Yeah, that's not my bird. <sighs> this really is the life. But if you want me to come visit you, you'll have to be virtually enabled. Optimize for wellness. Committed to sustainability, because whether you're a climate catalyst... Virtual native... Wellness protagonist. You're looking for an authentic experience just for you. That is how we're redefining the future of travel. Oh, and the other thing about the future of travel is... It's, it's already here! Good morning, everyone. I'm Anna Kriacic. I'm the Chief Knowledge Officer of Oliver Wyman Group. 
and the CEO of the Oliver Wyman Forum, where we focus on tackling some of the biggest changes happening in different industries over the coming years. Uh, before the panel, I have about 300 seconds to set the stage on what we're seeing with new consumers in travel and leisure. So I'm going to try to be brief. Um, about three years ago, uh, right as the pandemic was starting, I was one of the folks that completely missed the beat on toilet paper and the scarcity of sudden toilet paper. So I went scouring around in the New York tri-state area, and all I could end up with was one-ply business-use toilet paper. I'm not going to admit publicly how long it took me to use up what I finally found, but I will say that I decided not to stick to my own predictions after that. So we launched a global survey, and that's now been counting over two and a half years, almost 200,000 responses, where a lot of this work about who are the people shaping the future is coming out. We fundamentally try to understand people's habits, their needs, their behaviors, and how they're being reshaped coming out of the pandemic. The pandemic accelerated some things. It completely introduced new areas of opportunity. And that's what really we're here to talk about today. So with that, as you might have guessed from our skit, the virtual natives, right, are a slightly younger cohort that really wants to work remotely. 70% of them feel more free to be themselves when not in the office. So all that pushback that many of us got when we try to get people back five days a week, not really a surprise. When we go to the climate catalysts, they tend to skew slightly older than the virtual natives, and they expect businesses to be as passionate about sustainability and about climate as they are. And if businesses aren't, well, many are willing to walk away. Finally, one of my favorites, the wellness protagonist. For those of you that were at CES, health, tech, health wearables were everywhere. They're armed with data. They don't want just traditional medicine, they want me medicine. They want hyper-optimized -op wellness. And in travel and leisure, they want the amenities and the services that go along with that. Uh, what's interesting is 83% of consumers are actually willing to share their data to create that more personalized experience, whether it's wellness or something else. So the travel and leisure industry has really had a front row to these trends since the pandemic started, and we have been seeing a lot more shifts. So to set the stage for the panel discussion, which is about to come on, I wanted to, um, at a high level, just talk about where are the consumers heading. So what do they want to see? We're seeing a strong yes to more travel. The leisure travel industry has picked up to pre-pandemic levels. The corporate and international travel is also growing really strongly. We're seeing a huge yes to reinvention of the experience. Curated, authentic, custom, no surprise, and experiential. It's no surprise that this is the fastest growing area of the industry. We're seeing a massive yes to technological innovation in any sense. Right? So three out of four travelers say they would like to use technology to simplify, streamline, improve their journeys. We're seeing a massive yes to hyper-personalization. We talked a second ago about how many are willing to share their data to get to that. Another yes to sustainability, and not just sustainability, really eco and socially conscious options and choices, with many willing to pay a premium for them. Last but not least, a strong yes to differences in behavior by generation. 
just as of a few weeks ago with our most recent insights, with inflation coming in still strong and the macroeconomic environment, Gen Zers are pushing back some purchases. And they're happy to push back purchases of apparel. But 80% of them are not willing to push back purchases on leisure travel. That should bode well for this, for this industry and where we're going next. So with that, I'd love to welcome to the stage Alex Lee, CEO of Resi, Abhi Shah, President of Azul Airlines, and John Ackerman, EVP of Strategy and Development for Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Thank you. So we started in the air, welcome. Um, so I'm going to start us with kind of 30,000 feet high level uh, in terms of what are some of the macro shifts in consumer behavior that we're seeing as they relate to travel and leisure. Um, Alex, you know, a lot of change obviously in the restaurant industry and, and, and leisure more broadly coming out of the pandemic. What, what, what have you seen among your customers? Any big surprises? Well, the biggest thing for us is it's completely changed how we have to engage with customers and how they discover. Um, you know, if I back up, like Resi's only an eight-year-old company, and for a lot of the tech startups here, that may seem ancient, but we're owned by American Express, who's 170 years old, so I feel young, relatively. Um, but eight years ago, we, we disrupted the market because for decades it had been, I want to go out and eat, I'm going to Google a restaurant, and then I'm going to go on an open table and book it, right? And, and our big game changer for us was we helped people discover where they wanted to eat really with a profile view of what they wanted out of it, right? We have a great editorial staff who is telling stories about up-and-coming restaurants, new places, and things like that. And, you know, through the, kind of through the pandemic, but more so just a generational shift, we found we actually had to move up to, like, the inspiration part, right? People don't search for experiences the way they used to. They're doing like this micro searching on every, every single day. You're on the train, you're looking through Instagram, seeing what your friends are doing, trying to figure out what you want to do on your next vacation. And, you know, we, to be transparent, kind of stumbled on it. The entire world shut down. 2020 was the worst time in history to be running a restaurant booking platform. All of a sudden, all of our restaurants were closed and none of our customers wanted to go outside, which is pretty detrimental to our business model. Um, and we kind of reactively were like, well, we're going to build outside dining, right? We started sponsoring some of the outside setups in New York and helping people get out. And it kind of fueled its own, you know, huge thing around it, uh, where people were going, taking photos of themselves, posting it. And people were actually looking for inspiration of what can I do versus how can you fulfill for me? Um, six months later, we were buying a barge and turning it into a floating restaurant on the East River of New York, which um, if anybody's in any business, don't ever buy a barge and turn it into a restaurant. It's like <laughs> incredibly expensive and in horribly impossible to do. But it, was, it sold out in seconds, and it was like a click in our heads of like, we actually need to create the experience that inspires people for what they want to do. We can't just be there waiting to be like, when you figure out what you want to do, um, we'll help you book it, right? And I think it's made us much stronger, right? We're actually going where our customers are and getting to know them a lot better. Uh, but it's been a landslide shift. Yeah, so speaking of barges and infrastructure, I think I'm going to go to John <laughs> <laughs> and what you're seeing because, you know, you're dealing with the mother of infrastructures and, and uh, one of the biggest airports in the world. 
how, what have you seen among your consumers and, and any surprises there? So uh, we didn't buy any barges, and I'm going to make sure that uh, no I can, to sell. I can no, sell you one. Yeah, you can sell me a barge. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we more airplanes rather than ships. Uh, but uh, our, our customers also changed dramatically. And what we found is that, you know, not surprisingly, nobody travels to go to an airport. As much as, you know, I love airports and I'm in the business, nobody wakes up in the morning and says they want to go to a DFW airport. They're going on a journey, whether, you know, for leisure or for, for business to get somewhere and we're something they have to go through. So we're, we're not ordinarily in the, you know, kind of I get excited to go. In the pandemic, it got even worse. We found there was a lack of trust. People were, people were scared. They, they were not sure if it was safe to go to the airport. Uh, and it became a, so we really pivoted to rebuilding trust with our customers. And, you know, that started with is airports. We had a very clean airport, but we all, as the leadership team, leaders have been clean and sanitary. Totally, two totally different things that three years ago I would have said were basically the same. Uh, we had to prove to our customers that, that we were safe. So we went out and uh, got a, uh, a global certification uh, because we knew that people were probably not going to just trust us to say, hey, it's fine, come, because we're a little bit biased. So we went and got third-party validators to help convince our customers that it was safe to come back uh, and get on, you know, Avi's airplanes and go to, to visit Alex's restaurant. So that was a real pivot for us, the, the importance of trust on the consumer. We actually uh, rebuilt our strategic plan during the pandemic and actually feature now building trust with consumers as a pillar of our plan that we're actually deliberate about and we measure. And three years ago, we were not doing that. Do you think that's still a big deal going forward in terms of what consumers are looking at? Absolutely, because I think we kind of, you know, luckily stumbled onto it during the pandemic, but, you know, trust, it's, it's trust and authenticity. I think they're all interwoven together. So I absolutely think it's a trend that will continue, and we're, we're leaning into that building trust, not just with our customers, but with our employees and with the people who deliver, with our airline partners who actually deliver the experience to the customers. You know, we don't, uh, my company actually only has about 2,000 employees, uh, but there's roughly 50,000 that work at the airport. Uh, so all of those partners have really leaned into that, that trust model as well. And Abby, I mean, that ports over quite well to Azul because building, rebuilding that trust was critical, I think, to, uh, the, to the airline industry as we came out of the pandemic. Where are you seeing the big consumer shifts? What are they looking for? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can challenge restaurant business a little bit when it comes to having the worst businesses <laughs> in a pandemic. Um, having 200 airplanes that we've bought for 12, 15 years and all of them on the ground is not a, is not a pretty sight. I remember early in the pandemic, April 2020, I, I took my kids to the hangar, our hangar, just to, you know, something to do. And they were having the time of their lives seeing all the airplanes parked and they were climbing all over them and I was just like in tears because the airplanes were just parked. It was awful. But, but they, had, they had a great time. But, um, you know, the customer, the consumer has changed. Uh, first of all, I think that they're really demanding a more simplified travel experience. Uh, this panel is very timely because those of you that, that listen to, to Freakonomics just had a three-part series on air travel. Maybe, maybe you listened to it. And one of, one of the episodes was, air travel is a miracle, but why do we all hate it so much, <laughs> right? And sometimes it's hard to disagree when you're waiting for the phone two hours, right, for an airline call center, or you're at TSA. Uh, and so I think technology is gonna be a big part, is a big part of it already, whether it's self-service, whether it's um, streamlining the experience, having more information. I think, you know, just basic technology, streamline the experience. I think consumers are absolutely, especially, you know, the, the younger consumers are demanding that. I think trust and authenticity, I think marketing in its old ways has completely changed. 
I tell my team all the time, stop posting fake stuff on Instagram. <laughs> it doesn't work, nobody believes it anyway. Just put something real out there. Show your crew members, show your employees. That's really what people want to see. Um, and, and I think from a, from a business point of view, because you know, we all run businesses, businesses are going to have to be more efficient, right? So when you look at hiring, you look at staffing, uh, you look at headcount, I think the world is going to be a little bit more volatile, a little bit more uncertain, and I think businesses are going to have to be more efficient going forward. Yeah. And, and more agile. So you've kind of covered all of the different themes from technology to loyalty, et cetera, that we're going to get to in this panel. I'm going to pick up on some of them in a little bit. You know, Alex, coming back to you and, and talking about some of this, uh, some of the experiences and curating some of the experiences, you know, when you think about how your organization or just more broadly how organizations in the industry are adapting to the changing consumer needs, you know, you, you talk to me about, um, you know, the pop-ups, the the experience in Japan that, 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 that you just had going on. Um, and and Resi is obviously offering a lot more than reservations. How do you see this transformation evolving? Like, where are we going from here? I mean, it's a great question. And it's, in a way, I like try not to predict it because what we've been doing is really listening to our customers, right? We're a two-sided platform. So we, at the end of the day, we connect restaurants with consumers. And the, the example you mentioned about um, Japan. So we're doing a, um, a pop-up restaurant with Noma in Kyoto in a few months. And, and that's like the perfect example for me of we were talking to Rene Redzepi about what does he want to do. And he's like, I'm inspired by going to Kyoto and seeing what the natural ingredients within Japan are and bringing something very special to life. And that's like an experience well beyond what you would normally consider a restaurant. Um, and for consumers, like they're looking for something like that, something that nobody else can access, nobody else gets to try, and is well beyond just like the, the straight and narrow of how they used to dine in the past. And the ultimate, I mean, validation of that is it sold out in seconds. And we had people actually buying it and getting access to it and then being like, all right, where's Kyoto? How do I get to Japan? <laughs> and, um, but, but it was like the, you know, it was another one of those light bulb moments where, um, it's so far outside the bounds of how people thought of experiences in the past in like very compartmentalized ways of like, you know, you think back to my, probably my parents' generation of, I'm off in August, I'm gonna go to Italy, where do I eat? It's like the inverse, right, where they're saying, how can I get access to something nobody else is gonna do? And I know Renee is gonna make it incredibly uh, special. So a lot of it is we're, we're just creating the ecosystem where this kind of micro-inspiration can happen and, and where they're connecting consumers better to the businesses that are really creating these things. I mean, and to be connected to that ecosystem, I guess you need a lot of flexibility, um, <laughs> which perhaps the 80% of Gen Zers not willing to trade off leisure travel, but willing to trade off clothing shouldn't be a surprise for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, Abi, I mean, Azul Service is obviously a very large and diverse country in Brazil. Um, you have 30% growth planned for this year in terms of expanding to additional cities. What are, you know, what are some of the new consumer trends that you're tailoring your services towards as you're kind of doing this expansion and reach? Yeah, yeah. So we serve 158 cities in Brazil. <laughs> I I cannot name all of them, but we fly there every <laughs> single day. Um, I've been to 20 of the cities that we fly to, but if you can imagine a range of demographics from Sao Paulo, which has a population of 20 million, to rural cities that have populations of two, 300,000. And the amazing thing is that many of these cities have never had air service. 
right? Never had air service. So some places that we fly to in the Amazon and you want a medical treatment, it's a 45 minute Azul flight or three days by boat, mm -hmm. right? And so you're really talking about completely different demographics. So what do we focus on? Accessibility, affordability. So for example, we've been doing uh, payment plans for a long time, right? So where you can uh, take, 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 take the sum amount and you can divide it up in up to 10 monthly, monthly installments, right? So that's been something that's been around for a very, very long time, given credit card limits and all those kinds of things. And you know, that allows people to engage, allows people to start. And, and you, once people experience air travel, whether it's for education, for, for, for medical, for um, visiting your, your client more often, it changes your life, right? It changes your life, it changes the economy, it changes everything for the better. So it's a very positive spiral. So there's an aspect of that that's kind of affordability and you know, medical access and accessibility. There's another aspect of that that you mentioned to me, which is more around this experiential tourism. And you said something fascinating, which I hope you can repeat for the room, yes. around the middle class of Brazil goes to Miami, yes. but the, yeah. the wealthier ones are traveling yeah, within Brazil. Yeah, you... we've been complaining um, for a long time that Brazilians don't travel in Brazil. And so th there's a saying that if you're middle class in Brazil, you go to Miami, but if you're rich, then you visit Brazil, in Brazil. And so we actually want to change that, right? We want Brazilians to travel in Brazil. And so the best beach in the world, it just came out, is in Brazil. It's in a place called Fananji Noronha, which is kind of remote, but it's absolutely beautiful. So uh, talk about ecotourism, the Amazon. And you know, so we have a vacations business that really helps the customer find destinations, find hotels, find air travel, obviously on a zoo, and we package everything together. We have 50 physical locations where you can walk in, you can sit down with somebody and say, show me this beach, and they'll show you, and it'll help you plan your trip. So you do have to adapt your model to, the, to different demographics. And you know, one, one final stat, which will, which will shock you, Brazil in total had 100 million passengers uh, in 2019, mm -hmm. The US in one month has 75 million, one mm -hmm. month. And so you know how different the level of sophistication, experiences. So you have to diversify your business so you can meet those needs. Well, I think, John, that goes straight to you, right? Because you see that at Dallas-Fort Worth every day. So for many people today, the journey begins before you even get to the airport. But you obviously have a lot of physical infrastructure as well. So how have you thought about uh, uh, you know, meeting some of the demands and some of the expectations, really, which are, are changing drastically as we come out of the pandemic? So we've done a couple of things. First, we have, uh, you know, the journey starts at the airport, but there's a lot of prep to get to the airport. You know, where am I going to park? You know, how am I going to get there? Am I going to park? So we've actually, you know, kind of experienced, mapped the entire customer journey from kind of the, you know, the thought of going somewhere to return to their home. So we, we do look pre and post airport, but for the actual airport, you know, we're, we're fundamentally a physical infrastructure. We have, you know, we have runways and we have buildings and, you know, billions of dollars in, in the built environment that is very difficult to change, expensive to change, and takes a long time. So what we're doing now at, at DFW is layering kind of a, a digital infrastructure on top of our physical. We're just, a, you know, even five years ago, it was rare to hear an airport, you know, executive talk about kind of a digital layer. When we go into uh, considering physical infrastructure, we have the digital and the physical people in the same room talking about how those are going to interact and 
what our vision is, is that we can use this, this digital layer. So physical is hard to change. The digital is relatively, I say relatively easy to change because it's, it's not simple. But if we can offer a, a digital layer on top of our physical, then we can allow the customers to customize their journey and, and personalize it. And the four of us could have a different experience moving through the airport, even though it's the same, right. same physical layout. But by you know, offering choice and personalization, uh, you know, we can do that now. You can make actually a reservation to go through security right, right now. I mean, that tends to be one of the more stressful elements of how long is the line going to be? You know, am I going to make my flight? We now offer a reservation. So you have a 15-minute window. You show up and you don't wait online. So mm. we've taken, you know, one pain point. That's cool out of the yeah. customer journey yeah. and obviously you know there's there's a monetization of that but it really just gets them through a, a pain point quicker so they can experience you know restaurants and shopping and things on the other side of the security checkpoint that are that are pleasurable and probably the majority of the people in this audience did not expect airports to be the first place or one of the first places to be going digital but there's a lot of benefit especially with data which you know we're going to and access to data which we're going to talk about um, in a little bit um, Alex, you know, coming a little bit to you, I mean, Resi's always been a digital physical product, obviously, and providing kind of a digital solution to creating and booking physical experiences. Um, how has that enabled you to, uh, to innovate? You know, work, do you feel like you were at the front end of that trend and the front end of that shift, especially given what we're seeing now with some of the resale marketplaces that are happening in a number of different industries? So I think you and I talked about hotels and the reselling of hotel rooms and startups like Hoken that are, you know, leading that. Are you, are you looking in that direction? Yeah, we are. I mean, there, there's kind of two things of what you said and one building off what John said around like removing the friction from experiences is like no, nobody uses Resi because they want to be working on their phone. Like they want, they want to eat out. They want a great meal and like we're just the conduit for doing that. And um, I think actually great digital experiences are ones that let you spend less time actually in the process and more time enjoying what you're actually setting out to do. And, um, you know, I, I, I joke, and it sounds ridiculous from my vantage point of, like, the question I hate more than anything is people are like, where should I eat? Which sounds like it should be an easy question for me, but I immediately get, like, overwhelmed with anxiety. <laughs> of, I, I have 18,000 restaurants I know of. I have no idea who you are or what you want, or are you a health protagonist? Uh, or like? I, I think he's saying for? this because I asked him this question at breakfast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need a good recommendation. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, that actually inspires me for what we're all about, is like how can we cr remove all of that anxiety um, from every single person who's going out with friends and all of a sudden is on the hook to, yeah. to be inspired by what it is. The, you know, the marketplaces are interesting, right, because we've seen this incredible influx of more people wanting to dine out at great restaurants and really spend the time at places that inspire them. And that creates all different things around like demand that far outstrips supply and secondary marketplaces. And, and what's important for us is we're really trying to anchor in how do we let restaurants know their customer better, right? Know who they are, what they want. You know, for some of that, that may be things like monetizing the seats that they have. Um, so we're really leaning into how we help them do that, not in a way that's creating like a broker environment or anything like that. But, but letting them use that capital to really unlock even new, more exciting things that they do, like you know, some of these pop-up experiences and things. Um, so you know, I, think, I think great digital experience is actually removing them from having to think about that and just inspiring them from what they're actually trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. Abi, you mentioned to me all of the different types of innovation that Azul's doing uh, from a technology perspective and 
whether that's you know a new way to board the flights um, or uh, to improve the customer experience or some things on the efficiency side. Uh, do you want to say more on that, particularly on yeah. the consumer side? Because I think that's where that's yeah, where many of the pushes are happening. Yeah, I think you know we have to simplify and optimize the travel experience. I think it's cool that you can reserve. I'm going to try that. I think it's awesome. Uh, TAC PreCheck is a, a great anyway. But you know, what's the other pain point when you travel other than maybe security or check-in is boarding, right? It's pure chaos, right? Um, you don't know what group they're calling. You can't hear anything. Um, the language could be completely different. You know, it, it, it still shocks me that you know, airlines have been flying to Brazil for 20, 30 years, and all the announcements are in English. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense, right? But it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's clearly um, not fine. No, right? yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. Totally fine. It's, it's, it's <laughs> nonsensical. But obviously nobody understands it. And so then, then everything is wrong. And then if you board at the wrong, you get the, 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 the beeping with the red thing. And it's awful. And you're publicly shamed. <laughs> so, so we decided we need to change this. So, so we have this technology. I have a video. If you go to our YouTube page, Azul, you'll see it, where we project on the ground. We have projectors on top, like six projectors, and we project a moving, a, a virtual digital moving carpet on the ground that actually has your seat. So 15A, you just follow 15A until you go in. 3B, you just follow it. And so then you don't have to wait for an announcement, and it's, it's organized in, in an optimized way. So you do it the back, you do the windows, business class, all, you can do all that kind of stuff. And you just literally find your, your, your it doesn't have your name for privacy, but it's got your seat and a little color, and you just sort of follow it in, into the airplane. And it removes all the stress. It makes things go a lot quicker. So um, again, it's a, it's a great example of marrying uh, digital and physical. And again, when you, when you travel, you're doing that all the time, whether you use your app, whether you're on the plane, whether you use Wi-Fi on the airplane, or whatever it is. And so, Customers are very used to it. It's easy for them to kind of transition back and forth. But this is just a cool example of using a little bit of pandemic lessons, um, you know, spacing people, but also just removing stress, unnecessary stress, fights at the gate, all that kind of stuff. Just follow the carpet and off you go. I love that. A lot of simplification of journeys yeah. and uh, improvement in the experience. So I would be remiss, given all the talk about generative AI and chat GPT and Cohere and others, um, if I didn't ask uh, something about um, uh, the experimentation that's happening there and, and how you see those technologies fitting into some of the new consumer demands or how are you applying them. We don't have to go through you know, everybody answering, but anyone want to take that one and, and uh, talk to us about, you know, is there a version, I don't know, of a Resi product or uh, an airport product or an airline product that incorporates that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the, at least the airline industry is very much in the infancy. Um, you know, I still think we suck at chatbot. Like, I've never seen a good chatbot <laughs> that really works, <laughs> including ours, by the way, right? Uh, and, you know, it's powered by Watson and all that kind of stuff. But it, it doesn't really work, to be honest. So I think there's a long way to go. I think internally, though, there are some cool things. For example, uh, 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 a modern airplane on every flight puts at half a terabyte of data on every single flight. Uh, all the health systems, all the maintenance, all the sensors. So there's a lot of efficiency you can do in terms of maintenance, in terms of safety. So I think initially, at least, what I can see is a lot of efficiency improvements uh, internally to the organization. 
We had a cool, uh, uh, we support Pink October, uh, breast cancer awareness at Azul. And so we had mobile um, um, units for, for people and their families to do, to do exams. And all of those results were analyzed by AI. And we actually saw an increased um, uh, aw uh, um, awareness, you know. The results were, the analysis were much higher quality than, than by a human, for example. So I can see those kinds of applications, but I'm not seeing anybody really at scale do something that's customer-facing that I think moves the needle yet. So I might, not knowing where Kyoto is, book that experience, but I won't be able to talk to somebody to fly me there immediately overnight. Yeah. Um, I, think it, I, well, I think travel, you know, dining experiences is actually one of the most fascinating places we'll get to see this come to life. We're like doing a lot of experimentation, but you think inherently when you're traveling or when you're dining out, you are departing from all of your norms, right? You are doing something that is an experience in and of itself, which is probably, I mean, some people here may be lucky enough to do it day to day, but um, outside of like your normal routines. Like we, we're fortunate, Resi, coupled to American Express, we have like the best data in the world about people. Um, <clears throat> but when you think about a lot of the AI infrastructure based on that data, we'll know a lot about what you do, what you like to do. And I'm the perfect example. I have a lot of little kids. And uh, you know, all of our data optimization systems would probably be like, it's Friday night, chicken nuggets, macaroni and cheese. That's what you're going to love. And it's when I'm actually looking for something that's the exact opposite of that to do with my life. So where I think is really interesting is the intersection of some of that generative AI and like social networking. And we're doing a lot of things of like, how can we predict people like you and then have them sharing places and experiences they've loved to that secondary layer of connectivity that actually inspire, you know, you know, I might love the same things as John. I don't know John, but it, it does the connectivity and the intermediary for that outside of just saying, like, here's what you've done in the past and try to, you know, forward look the things that are very, like, down the center that it might predict that I like. And, and you have access to a lot of data. So in terms of your innovation and where you can go there, that's clear. What about for industries or players that don't have access to a lot of data? And, John, I'm looking at you yeah, because yeah, as an airport... I'm green with envy and jealousy of listening <laughs> yeah. to all this data. I think it's really interesting. You know, I get a report every night that you know has how many passengers are going to come through the airport today. So, and I can tell you within you know a tenth of a percent, you know, really accurate forecast how many people are coming through. But unless my wife's traveling, I don't know a single name. The airline has rich data. Abby knows exactly what's going on in all the customer history, the hotel that they may be going to, the run. Everybody knows a lot of things about that customer except for me. I know about my customers in the aggregate but not that personalized experience. So mm -hmm. it's tough. So we've, we've done a couple of things. What we do have a lot of data on is the infrastructure because that's fundamentally us. So we built a digital twin. We've worked with the National Renewal, Renewable Energy Laboratory and we built a digital twin of some of our terminals and some of our roadways. And we're using that to improve the customer experience. I mentioned earlier that you know I have to actually get people into the terminal before they can have the security experience and dine at our restaurants. Uh, so we think a lot about how passengers flow, how buildings perform, but on the customer Customer side, without a direct relationship with with you know with with Alex, it's really hard for us. So we actually started an online parking business a few years ago, uh, and we're offering our customers a lot more value for money. You know, we're selling discounted uh, you know closing garage parking on weekends when the garages are traditionally empty right. from the business traveler, uh, and so we're making money doing that. 
but the real reason we're doing it is because now I have a one-to-one -one relationship with that customer. So now I do have their name, their address, when they're traveling, and I can begin to learn things about them, and then you know, uh, offer them other experiences like a you know a frequent Parker. Uh, I can get to know, and I can offer them chicken nuggets and macaroni <laughs> and cheese on Fridays if, it's great if, if that's what they like. But we're very early in in that journey, uh, and for us, it is it's a paucity of data. We have the opposite problem uh, on the actual individual right. customers mm -hmm. that you know my partners up here. But have. some of the digital offerings and kind of marrying and extending into parking has actually given you more access? Uh, absolutely. So we're beginning to get insights. In, and, we, and we do customer surveys. You know, we have, you know, uh, you know, customer, serve, uh, you know, customer satisfaction surveys, extensive, you know, intercept surveys every day out in the terminals. But again, it's not that individual customer relationship, which is where the value right. really is. I mean, if I, you know, if I took all the names off of Alex's data, it's going to be worth a lot less than it is right now. That's what we're faced with. So it's a different challenge, and we have to come at it from a slightly different way. Um, I want to stick with you for a second because Good. one of the things we wanted to talk about is sustainability. Right. And if uh, you look at Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, you've really led the way when it comes to that. I think you've committed, you have the largest carbon neutral airport in the world, and you've committed to net zero by 2030, not the 2045 that you heard in the, for those of you that were here for the skit earlier today. So that's 10 to 20 years ahead of other airports, which is just huge. Um, have you seen this resonate with consumers? I mean, then kind of what did it take yeah, for you guys to take absolutely. a lead? First, who, who in the audience knew that DFW is the largest carbon neutral airport in the world before Anna just said that? Like okay, we four got hands. four hands. All right. So, and, and for a Texas We need to airport, get back to storytelling. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, comms, thank you. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> No, but, but people really are, are, are surprised by that, you know, and people don't realize that Texas is an energy state. There is both conventional energy and we have the largest uh, wind energy of any state in the United States, the most wind energy. So several years ago, we went out and did a reverse auction and we actually had people bid on our power needs and were able to convert all of our electric uh, requirements over to renewable. Uh, that was a, a, a big move. But yeah, we did. We pledged to be net zero by 2030, and we've got a clear plan to get there. We're not, uh, we're not just talking. Uh, we have science-based targets for every step of the way, and we have a clear map. And our, our CEO went to the COP26 a couple of years ago and pledged it in front of the world, so we're definitely going to do it now. Uh, but but we're, we're leaning into that, A, because it's the right thing to do. And when you see, you know, particularly, you know, what's happening in Europe already, you know, the, the flight shaming and you have, you have cohorts that are actively avoiding flying and you yeah. have governments that are talking about uh, restricting the growth of their airports, which, you know, five years ago it was grow, grow, grow because airports tend to be an economic engine, you know, for their, for their region. Now governments are consciously constraining the growth of an airport. And so we're thinking about the future and realizing that we have to act early and we have to be proactive and we do want to be ahead of everybody else. And when they figure this out, you know, we'll be 10 years ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, and the, the same positive uplift that you see uh, from generations that are willing to pay extra, right, for products and services that are delivered sustainably, you see the same on the negative side. So Absolutely. I think one out of five Gen Zers would break a relationship with a company that has values that they don't support, um, which, is, which is a new world. Before we go to loyalty, any, any comments on sustainability or broader yeah. ESG and how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I think, look, you know, we're in Brazil, which is an emerging economy. You know, a lot of people don't have access to basic services, air travel. I think in the US, you would consider almost a basic service, right? So I think you do have to look at sustainability, ESG, in a broader context. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people should have equal opportunity to, to fly, to, to go to work, to all those kinds of things. So, so we look at ESG overall as 
just do good, right? Just do, do good in the world. And exactly what you said, I, and we can talk about loyalty, I think consumers have an affinity to brands and companies that are doing good. So for us, the doing, look, we, we fly airplanes, right? And that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, you know, I, I, I joke, we talk about ESG and, and you know, net zero, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a kid in, in, in middle school today that's gonna win a Nobel Prize in physics for fizzing, <laughs> figuring this out, right? Because I don't, I don't know if we're there yet in terms of the energy you required to lift an airplane to the sky and the energy density, all those kinds of things. So you have sustainable aviation fuels that, that could be one of the ways, but then how do you source it? There's food, impacts, all that kind of stuff. There's electric, there's hydrogen. But for us, our vision is much broader. It's just, let's just do good. So let's provide people safe access to air travel. Let's improve the economies uh, where, we, where we fly. Let's, let's get the medical treatments, all those kinds of things. So, you know, I wish, you know, obviously we hear about the flight shaming. I just wish that some of that is in context right. of the particular economy situation. You know, again, the U.S. has 800 million people flying. Brazil has 100. It can't be the same. So we, it's hard to talk about sustainability and ESG more broadly without talking about loyalty, and, and you kind of raised that. Um, I think it's also, you know, for me, the first generation that comes into mind when we talk about some of those things, because I think they're driving a lot of the change, is Generation Z, and we talked a little bit about them before. But they are really, truly the most generation. Uh, they're the largest, they're the most racially diverse, they're the most educated, they're the most digitally savvy. They're the most global, and they're the most nonconformist in the sense that they reject labels. So when you, you, know, when you, when you think about that um, and, and you see that one in three Gen Z feel like brands don't understand them, what that means for loyalty and what that means for how you interact with them is kind of a whole new paradigm. So I don't know, maybe Alex, uh, you know, we, can start, we can start with you here in terms of just you know, how has that loyalty shifted? How are you thinking about marketing? We talked earlier about you know, the change with influencers and, and, and how that's redefined the landscape. Um, I think over 50% of Gen Z are on TikTok, but two-thirds of Fortune 100 companies are not there, which tells you a lot about engagement and kind of where we go from here. How are you thinking about that? Yeah, lo loyalty is a really interesting space. I mean, particularly how it has evolved, but what, what has become more and more is really has to have a foundation in authenticity and like how we are helping tell the story of what they are getting out of our platform. Because as much as, I, I, I laugh, because we have a loyalty program, right, where people have better access to certain restaurants. Right before we went on stage, I was teaching John how to enroll his credit card so as to be able to unlock that. I'm happy to stay after and help anybody. Actually, I'm going to have John do it. He's going to now be my evangelist. Um, but really, as much as they're loyal to us, they're really loyal to the restaurants that we serve. And, and we find that we become a platform for them being able to tell that story, whether it's how they sustainably source food, the upbringing of the particular chef or restaurateur and making sure that that's really brought to life in the right way and really um, we, we expose it to the customer in the right way. Because, because if you're not, it's incredibly easy to spill customers and, yeah. and the influencer population, social media becomes just like a catalyst for it. The second that you're not leaning into that, you, you will be exposed quite quickly. Um, and, it, and I think it makes us be honest with ourselves, too, of like, you know, we are inherently here to unlock the power of all of these small businesses we serve. We have, as I mentioned before, 18,000 restaurants that were there to service. And we have to help them tell that story because if we're trying to be an intermediary to that, 
um, we're, we're gonna dilute the actual value there. Mm -hmm. So like that's kind of our core ethos of, of how we're actually generating that, that connectivity and keeping them loyal to each other. And, and sometimes even when you do lean in, you might end up with unforeseen consequences. And Abi, I think you guys had that experience. Yeah, very recently. So, you know, loyalty is, is I think, changing. There's loyalty programs. You know, our loyalty program has 15 million members in it, so it's very big. But really what we're after is true loyalty. And, you know, consumers are getting their information from all sorts of different places, right? So the rise of the influencers is one. So we, we had an experience two weeks ago where we had a customer board our airplane in Fort Lauderdale and he showed up at the, at the door of the airplane literally and said, you know, he'd like to propose to his boyfriend on the airplane. So we're like, okay, it's, it's actually relatively common, believe it or not, people proposing on airplanes. We're like, okay, you know, I, I, we can... I, was, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I was actually proposed to on an airplane. I did end up saying yes. There you, there you go, there you go. Good data set. So it's actually one of those uh, bucket list things that people like to do, and obviously we allow it, you know, whenever, whenever we can. So he said, okay, I want it. and then he said, okay, but I have an LED sign that I want to put up, and I have a projector, and I, and I want to do a slideshow. We're like, no, like, we're, no, we're not, there's, there's no LED sign. And so in the end, I think the flight attendants gave him some, did some champagne in the galley, and we thought it was all fine. Turns out, as soon as he lands, he uploads a post saying how Azul has destroyed his dreams, and we destroyed the proposal and insinuating other things. So we obviously freaked out, and the feedback is all negative, right, immediately. And so, you know, in, in the minutes, hours after, we're obviously concerned that our crew acted inappropriately or whatever it is, until we actually got the details of the LED sign and the projector and all that kind of stuff, and the fact that the proposal actually happened at the end. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had a, probably a week's worth of negative, just negative commentary because of this. And so it's really a, a two-edged two sword, you know, with influencers and um, using them, not using them, what can go right, what can go wrong. And so I, I think you've got to be very, very careful, obviously, build relationships with them whenever possible. But for the most part, I think even influencers, at this point, people know that they're paid influencers. And so the more authentic, the more honest, the more you just show you yourself as a company, I think that's what's really gonna create loyalty. Thank you for that. I'm gonna ask you all to think about quickly with kind of a one sentence what your biggest takeaway was from today, and then we have a few minutes for Q&A. And as you're thinking about that, I will say for those, of, those that are brave enough to ask a question, the first five will get their own coffee table book on who the new people shaping the future are. So think about your questions as, as we go back. Um, anyone want to start with your biggest takeaway from today? <laughs> Looking at me. Uh, so I think the, uh, is an airport, again, we have a different thing. People don't choose to, to come to an airport. You know, as a matter of fact, some people think about surviving airports. We actually aspire to a lot, a lot more than that. But, but, you know, Alex mentioned something about, you know, showcasing his 18,000 restaurants. You know, as, and I kind of thought about it. I'm like, that's really, we're, we're trying to create, you know, we're trying to create an amazing experience. We're trying to create a frictionless experience, but we're really trying to get people on their journey, you know, to go experience Abby's airline or go to experience his restaurants. So for us, uh, you know, we have to think people aren't really loyal to airports. They're loyal to other things that, that they're using at airports as a conduit to get through. So we have to really think about that and figure out how to, you know, with our 
again, with our fixed infrastructure, how to deliver that, that customized, personalized experience. Uh, and, and it's hard because, you know, the, your Gen Z work, I mean, they're very contradictory. I mean, they have, they're almost two sides of every, there's no, there's no one-sided coin in Gen Z. They're all two-sided. And, and you can, if you get it wrong, you get it very wrong and, and they react uh, quickly to that, so. Yeah, I think, you know, to what Alex was saying, if you can really represent your customer in a true, authentic, honest way, I think that's going to create lasting loyalty. Yeah, I've been taken, and we were talking about this this morning, that you could, almost couldn't think of three more disparate businesses in a lot of ways if you tried, but we're all kind of it's stuck in the same paradigm where we are connectors between consumers and the ultimate experiences they're trying to get to. And we're, we're working through a lot of the same challenges in a lot of different ways. I, I, I burn a lot less jet fuel than, than <laughs> these guys. But like at the end of the day, we're still trying to understand the true passions of the core customer and, and how do we make sure that we are growing with the new generations and actually connecting with the experiences they really care about in the best way, the most sustainable way, and in a way that they want to engage with us. Thank you. Questions? Oh. Oh, we got somebody in the back, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're really working on promoting Britain as a destination. So, welcome Cameroon to come to Britain in the summer. It's going to be fantastic. Um, but, how would you advise us to really, if we want to kind of really re establish a kind of guest journey or communicating airports or to these new travellers? What are the new ways to get your brand and your attractions to talk to people through that guest journey of travel? How does a brand get to these new consumers using travel touch points? I'm happy to start too, and very selfishly, I, my CMO is sitting here and we'd be desperate <laughs> to capture you afterwards because we're making a big push into the UK this year. Um, but I, I think it all starts with like the core of what you do best, right? It's a country rich in history and all that it has to offer, and right, and trying to figure out how do you bring that to the forefront of the mindset of customers and in new ways. And I talked early on about like the new sources of inspiration, the social media channels rather than conventional search, and, and finding the places where that that can really be amplified. The things that customers love or consumers love when they travel, where they, when they travel in Britain, um, start there. Because the inspiration is what fuels all of the, the, the travel, the people, the dining, everything else that comes with it. So given the number of questions that we have, maybe we just yeah. do one yeah. answer. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, guys. Your no, 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 answer was uh, better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> we have five flights today to London, I was going to say. Hi, uh, good morning. I was wondering with this um, increase of expectations surrounding personalization of the experience um, and my belief that customers actually evaluate the experience based on the expectations that they had if uh, your businesses as connectors play a role in establishing those expectations how you think technology might help in the future um, and what was the role that the connector businesses play in that yeah I mean for us, personalization is very, very key to, and, and setting the right expectations, right? I mean, if you're flying a low-cost airline and you know it's a low-cost airline, your expectations are, and you're not going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And so we, 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 we try and communicate b before the trip, here's what to expect on your flight. You know, you're going to have Wi-Fi, you're going to have live TV, or you're going to have nothing. These are going to be snacks. 
or, or whatever it is. Uh, but definitely the open rates, the engagement, if you put the name in the headline, if, in, in the subject line, if you're really delivering content that's relevant, then I think customers are going to engage with it. Uh, or whether it's a Disney tickets, you know, for example. So m as personalized as possible. And the, the communication should not be marketing. It should be a conversation, right? As much as possible, communicate via a conversation as opposed to just a marketing piece. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm not an English speaking I'm under the impression that the, uh, the, the type of travelers we sell are more like Generation Z, uh, but I see a demographic of older uh, 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 travelers just growing. Do you think this same uh, type of profiling applies to an older demographic? Yeah, I, I would say absolutely, and I, that's, it's a very good point. I mean, five years ago, all we talked about was the boomers because they had the money, and now they have the leisure time to travel, so it was focused on them, and it really has flipped to now Gen Z has kind of pushed out the boomers, but but absolutely. I mean, this, they, they crave, they, they, they want different things, but they have very specific needs as well, and, and they're, you know, they have, they have Gen Z and millennial family members who are kind of showing them some of these things and these unlocks, you know, I got shown how to, how to put my Amex card on Resi today, uh, but uh, not a boomer. But uh, but but uh, but but the, the same thing applies. They they have needs and, and they have wants, and, and if you meet their expectations and hopefully exceed them, they're they're going to come back and they're going to be loyal as well. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate the, the talk. Um, I want to talk about sustainability again, if you don't mind, because I think we kind of brushed over that a little bit. Um, our entire industry is based on growth. I'm in the travel industry. Um, so despite all of us talking about sustainability all the time, what we're doing is actually driving non-sustainable practices. Um, you'll know we'll, we'll have intentions from surveys around, um, I want to be more sustainable in my travel preferences, yet when it actually comes to action, it's carbon offsets within the aviation industry. When people choose my ticket, it's what, 0.3% less, probably? Um, Flying to Japan for a dinner sounds like the most unsustainable thing in the world for me. Um, so I just wonder how we move our conversation beyond the, even net zero, for example, in the airport, that doesn't include scope three emissions. My understanding is most of your traffic still to the airport still comes by road and, mm -hmm. and by individual cars a significant portion of the time. So we talk a good game in our industry, but we're not actually really driving um, an actionable step forward in terms of becoming a more sustainable industry. If we look at all the stats, we are gradually growing and, and becoming less sustainable as we grow rather than the other way around. And I'm wondering, have any of you seen something that would actually give us a leap forward in terms of more sustainable practices beyond halting growth? 
I, I want to push back on it a little. I, I wouldn't agree that we're not doing anything. I think, you know, the, the growth in the travel market, you're right, I mean, more and more people are growing as countries develop, there's a higher propensity to travel. But on a, you know, on a per cap basis, there have been reductions in, in carbon intensity and things like that. I mean, at our report, we've dramatically reduced carbon intensity on a, on a per passenger basis. So I think, I think you know, airports and airlines and other travel providers are working hard on that. But, you know, with population growth and, and as, again, as countries develop, the propensity to travel is, you know, kind of logarithmic. Uh, so it, it gets ahead of us. But, but I, I would disagree with you that the industry is not doing anything. Not that we're not doing anything. I think we're, we're actually trying to do a lot, but we're not. We're becoming less sustainable because of our growth in numbers, and we're not bringing down our practices enough in the meantime. Yeah, look, I think in this case, airlines industry is completely aligned because if we burn less fuel, we emit less CO2, and we spend less on fuel. So it's actually a very, very virtuous circle. I think new technologies have helped reduce the emissions on a per seat basis, but does the technology exist today? Yeah. It doesn't exist today. That's why I think somebody's gonna have to, have to, have to earn a, a PhD in physics at some point, uh, a Nobel Prize in physics, right? I mean, you do have some promising technologies, whether it's SAF, but then what's the impact on, on food and things like that. So I think it's gonna be baby steps, yeah. but at the same time, you know, there's still a lot of Again, I think it has to be seen in a broader perspective in terms of what are the positives as well. You are developing economies. You are providing opportunities to people by allowing for this transportation, for allowing for this movement of people and goods, right? E-commerce, the, the, the middle class in the US has an amazing quality of life because of e-commerce and Walmart and all that kind of stuff. So I think that sustainability in its narrow sense you could draw that conclusion, but I think looking at it in a broader sense, it's creating development opportunity for a lot of people. So I think we have time for one more question and we have to wrap it up, I apologize. Hi, good morning. Um, thank you for the presentation today, it was great. So my question is about business travelers and it feels like COVID and meeting technology has really fundamentally changed the amount of business travel that needs to happen. I'm curious about how you all think about that. Yeah, you know, for us, business travels back about 85 to 90%, which is not that bad. Uh, Brazil, at least, it's, it's a growing market, so we think the number is actually going to be larger than before. It's going to grow. But one thing that's interesting is, uh, first of all, I think it's strange that people are working from home, but traffic is worse than ever. That's, that's kind of a weird situation, but okay. I don't, I don't understand who these people are. But also, groups, events, conferences, they're bursting at the seams, and South by Southwest is a great example of that. So I think people maybe are not taking the quick one-hour meeting business trip, but then we're seeing a lot of um, events, groups, conferences, activities. So in the end of the day, I think people are really valuing these, these interactions. And yeah, it's growing. So this gentleman's question, the, the business travel market is growing faster than the, you know, handful of percent of people who are substituting Zoom for travel. So the overall growth is still there, but probably a little bit less on a per cap basis, kind of similar to this gentleman's question. And it's just shifting. The nature right. of it is shifting, right? right? So you see more leisure travel, you see more right. conferences, you see other, other elements, but the growth is still there. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you to the panelists, so and much. I want to thank South by for having me.